This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. I want to start a kindness movement and see kindness spring up in communities across the country and North America and around the world. I'm Carl Vaders, and welcome to The Church Lobby, Conversations on Faith and Ministry. My guest in this episode is Greg Atkinson, and we'll be talking about the secret power of kindness from his new book, The Secret Power of Kindness, 10 Keys to Unlocking Your Capacity to Change the World. In this episode, we'll be talking about a whole bunch of things around this important fruit of the Spirit, maybe the most neglected fruit of the Spirit as far as preaching and teaching that we have. We'll talk about what kindness is. We'll talk about why it's so powerful, and maybe even more so, why its absence is felt so deeply. We're going to talk about practical ways to become a more kind person, and we're also going to go through some of Greg's story, how he made a choice to end the cycle of abuse that he inherited from his family so that he could pass on a cycle of kindness into his family. Don't forget to stick around when the interview is done. I'll come back with an overview of the content and some practical takeaways. Greg, it is so good to have you with us on the podcast today, and welcome back. You're a second timer at this point. Thank you. It's good to be back. You're back because you've just written a book, uh, The Secret Power of Kindness, 10 Keys to Unlocking Your Capacity to Change the World. The Secret Power of Kindness. So I guess my first question, I'm going to come straight out the top and ask you this. Kindness, are you for it or are you against it? Absolutely for it. Yeah, it's a uh, little talked about fruit of the spirit. I'm trying to get it talked about, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm trying to raise awareness about fruit of the spirit that I think our churches, congregation, and our world, our country desperately need. I'm doing everything I can to talk about it. I think the last time I saw you in person, I was marinating and thinking on this topic Mm -hmm. and had thoughts about it. I actually had written a different proposal for my agent and for my publisher. Same theme, same topic, but different title and different approach. And then my publisher flew to my house, met with me and said, Greg, when I read this proposal, when I read the sample stuff, it sounds like it's all about the power of kindness. You're zeroing, zeroing in on the power of kindness. So through a brainstorming meeting with my publisher and our marketing company, the A Group in Nashville, that is working with the book, we came up collaboratively with the title The Secret Power of Kindness because it packs a punch. It has so much power to it. It's not talked about much. And then as you see in the subtitle, The Secret Power is that it can change the world. And so pretty excited about it. Mark Batterson was kind enough to write the foreword of the book, and in the foreword, he calls it the church's Trojan horse. I was talking with another friend who runs a nonprofit, a conference for nonprofits, and he said, Greg, in our world, because he doesn't work with church leaders, he works in communities and nonprofits, he said, in our world, 
kindness is a prerequisite. And I said, well, that's a good way to put it. So it's as I was just typing back and forth with a magazine, I said, it's a prerequisite for outreach. And I mm-hmm. love Mark Batterson's. He's such a wordsmith saying that this is the church's Trojan horse. This is how we gain an audience with people who we so desperately want to reach. And if you ask any pastor, what is what are we to be about? They'll say the Great Commission, Great Commandment into go reach the world and to be all about evangelism and discipleship. But if we're not kind people, will they ever listen to us? And so that was kind of the genesis of the book. Yeah, Yeah, it it is one of those interesting character traits. And as you mentioned, it's a fruit of the spirit, but maybe one of the ones that we value least. And it, it feels to me as you're talking, like when kindness is there, it is like you say the trojan horse it's kind of it, it kind of sneaks in it's almost underappreciated but when it's absent it is noticeable more maybe by its absence than by its presence i think in a lot of our lives in a conscious way anyway when someone is unkind you notice when someone is kind you it's almost like well that's just the way it's supposed to be which of course it is the way it's supposed to be but maybe because of the subtlety of it we don't appreciate it as much as we should Yeah. And it's, you know, I I would call it disarming, you know, that it takes Mm. people by surprise. If you're in a tense situation or somebody messes up right in front of you or does something that a lot of people, I have a, you know, a chapter on patience, something that a lot of people would lose their patience over when you respond with kindness, it kind of throws people for a loop of, oh, wow, I thought you'd be upset or I thought you'd be mad. And so it's, it's disarming in that way. And to your other point, you know, I have a lot of unbelieving family members, non-Christian family members that I wrote this book in with them in mind, and uh, they've all told me they're going to read it. But what I have had numerous conversations with them about is how they have been just sitting back watching Christians not acting kind. They definitely pick up when they see something in the paper, in the news, or hear a story or have a re a interaction with somebody who is a Christ follower, but does not act in a kind way. They make notice of that. And it just hardens their defenses of, I do not want to be a part of anything like this. And, you know, there's that famous Gandhi quote of, uh, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians, uh, kind of quote, but I want to start a kindness movement and see kindness spring up in communities across the country and North America and around the world. You know, this book is available in uh, just about every country. But, you know, I even share stories in the book about people who have no faith background whatsoever, but are known for being kind. Like I specifically, and this was in the original proposal for the book, I specifically talk about Keanu Reeves. And I just watched the new John Wick movie. So Keanu Reeves is fresh in my mind. But I wrote about him a year or two ago when I worked on the proposal two years ago as somebody who is known for acts of kindness and people who are fans of Keanu Reeves, who is an atheist, by the way, talk about how kind he is to his fans and how he surprises them with acts of kindness. And what I say in the preface of the book and in the in the beginning of the book is this is what the church should be known for. Um, we're getting out kinded, if that makes sense. You know, we have Mm -hmm. people who are leading the way in kindness that have no faith background whatsoever. 
And I talk about this in the book for years. I have three adult kids, two in college, one in grad school. And I said to them for years when they were growing up, just be a decent human being. That was my dad advice to them. Now, of course, I tried to disciple them and teach them about God and faith and prayer. But at the end of the day, I want them to be a decent human being. And they are. They're remarkable kids. They're kind kids. But I mentioned that in the book because it was real words that I said to my kids as they were growing up. Yeah. When people criticize, as you mentioned earlier, like Gandhi's quote about, I, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. When people don't, in general, like as a blanket statement, say they don't like Christians, seldom are they calling us stupid. Right. Seldom are they even upset that we have strong beliefs. We think that's what, oh, you just don't like our beliefs. Seldom do they push back against our beliefs. They may not share them, but they seldom push back against our beliefs. What they push back against is we're, when we're mean. <laughs> right. That seems to be the key. So if kindness is so important, let's we, we've been talking about it for a while, but one thing we haven't done yet is what is kindness? How would you define it for us? Man, I knew you were going to ask that. I have it <laughs> in my I, I wrote a definition in the middle of the night and I'm pulling it up so I get the words right. But I woke up at 1231 a.m. and this thought just popped in my head. And this is what I wrote about the secret power of kindness. These are my exact words. I'm just reading it from my book. The secret power of kindness is the self-awareness to know that you have the power to make or break someone else's day and eventually change the world. Kindness has no hidden agenda or strings attached. Its only purpose is to express love to another soul made in the image of God. And I think, you know, when I when I talk about interactions that we have with people and changing our churches and our community, we have to get back to the image of God, that everybody is made in the image of God. And so therefore they have value, they have worth, they have dignity. We should honor them. We should respect them. We should treat them with kindness. You know, I've written two previous books, as you've had me on before, about hospitality that was the heart behind that, that we should honor people and be hospitable to people. For those that enjoyed those books, I do have a chapter in this book where I dig in and talk about hospitality and share real personal stories for the first time. In my previous books, I didn't mention anything about me. It was just kind of practical. Here's how to run a hospitality ministry at your church. In this book, I talk about stories of people living with me and staying with me and things that I've done. I share real life stories in the book. But yeah, I, I'm very passionate about treating people as if they are made in the image of God. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did notice you you do tell a lot of your story. And at the beginning, the first chapter too, especially, you talk about you had a really rough childhood. You've gone through some very difficult rejections. You've gone through some physical issues and you've even had to deal with mental illness and so on. You've had some real difficult, and you've been treated badly for those things that aren't your fault, that simply are issues that you're dealing with. And as I was reading through it, I, I paused after the first couple of chapters after you told so much of it. First of all, I've known you a while and didn't know a bunch of these things. I knew the broad strokes of it because you and I have talked about it, but there were details that I wasn't aware of. And I paused and I went, of all the people to write a book about kindness, with Greg's background, he should have been the one to write a book about meanness because that almost, you know, being mean back for all of the things that you went through feels like a more appropriate response from a lot of people's background. So how right. is it that coming out of such a difficult background where you were not treated with kindness to say the least, 
Is that part of what fueled this this interest towards and drive towards creating a, an atmosphere of kindness around you and helping to bring others towards it? Yeah, you know, my, as I mentioned in the past, I was known for hospitality, which I'm very passionate about. I love hosting people. I love serving people. And that was kind of wired in me and modeled to me by my mom, who I mentioned in this book. But as a child growing up, I had some rough experiences that happened to me from physical abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, to bullying in school. I've not always been 6'5". When you and I stand by each other, we're two tall guys, but um, I have not always been this big. And so uh, I was bullied really bad, had some church hurt, church wounds. Uh, my mentor years ago here in Charlotte, a great man who was known for men's ministry and speak at men's ministries all over the country. When he started mentoring me, he said, Greg, every man has a father wound and a church wound. And I mentioned that in the book. This is my story. I have a father wound and I have church wounds. This response naturally in our flesh would be to respond with meanness or anger or bitterness. And I chose a different path. And that's what we set up in the first chapter of the book. It's a chapter on forgiveness. If you do not wrestle with forgiveness and you are walking around upset, mad, angry, bitter, and have unforgiveness in your heart, you're not going to be a very kind person. You're going to be difficult to be around and your interactions with people are going to be pretty rough because underneath, unfortunately, there's a seething anger. And I get that. I understand yeah. that. I feel for people like that. But I had to nail that to the cross. I had to give that over to God. And I had to take him, you know, my relationship with my dad and all the stuff I talk about in the book. After my dad died and, you know, his anniversary of his death was just three days ago. It's been 26 years. And 26 years ago at the age of 21, I'm now 47, I decided that I was going to be a better dad and I was going to not have my kids experience what I experienced. And so, one, of, you know, I've had 45 incredible people endorse this new book on kindness, but my publisher emailed me and he said, Greg, the, the endorsements that move me the most are the ones that your kids wrote. And so all three of my adult kids endorsed the book and endorsed me and shared about me being a kind person. And that means more to me than all these known leaders that endorse the book. It's amazing to me that my kids fast forward, you know, two decades plus can endorse me in the book and the stories of the book. As, as I mentioned, that was not modeled for me as a child. I didn't, I, we grew up in a dysfunctional home and I, I did not have that kind of relationship with my earthly father, but we all can choose to end the cycle, to stop, to say, this ends with me, and I'm going to encourage my kids going forward, and I'm going to pour into them. I'm going to tell them I love them, and I'm proud of them, you know, with things I never heard, that we're going to say this from here on out. I'm going to, I'm going to let my kids know how I feel. And so uh, my kids were just here this week visiting, and they all have apartments and busy summer schedules, but we just spent some time together. And, you know, when they leave the house, I hug them. And when they walk in the door, I hug them and I let them know that I love them and I'm proud of them. And regardless of what relationship we had with our earthly father, we can end the cycle and we can change things going forward. Yeah, it is fascinating to me. You, you, you said it twice, but you almost said it nonchalantly, like I got handed this, but I chose 
to move forward in kindness instead. So obviously the first thing we need to do is choose it, but then to choose to be kind is one thing to then be able to pull it off because there's a skill to it. There's things you have to learn. There's decisions you have to make on a regular basis. It's not a one-time choice. It's something you have to do on a regular basis. And one of the things I love about your book is it's got 10 keys to unlocking kindness and you walk through them. And when I first looked at the chapter headings, I got to tell you, my first thought was, well, when is he going to get to kindness? Because the chapter headings are unlocking forgiveness, unlocking generosity, and then composure, acceptance, rest, wisdom, empathy, patience, love, unity. All of those are great. I approve, right? When I read them, it was like, okay, where is kindness going to come in? But what you do so wonderfully is you talk about how unlocking forgiveness is a key to becoming kind and to unleashing the power of kindness in your life, how unlocking generosity. So each one of them is not just simply about a character trait, but it actually is about practical steps to release these particular traits in your life, all of which add up to and all of which empower the idea of kindness behind you. How did you, where did you come up with this kind of recipe? You talked a little bit about it already. You'd already kind of written the book and then your publisher went, hey, wait a minute, this is all about kindness. Talk about about those ingredients and how they all came together. Yeah, so the book that I proposed before, totally different chapters. When my publisher said, go all in on the power of kindness, let me see what you come up with. That's when I brainstormed all over again. And what I've done for the last few books is get together. As you know, I'm a part of a uh, small church plant and best friends with the pastor. And we get together on a big yellow sticky note and we start brainstorming and we just throw everything out. Uh, we could talk about this, 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 this. And then we zero in and narrow in on what we want to do. And so it was a collaboration. And my pastor and I did a big brainstorm session. And then I took that big sticky note uh, that I have somewhere around here. And then I kind of narrowed it down and talked with uh, another writer, editor, friend of mine who's really good at getting me to think clearly. And we came up with these 10 keys of unlocking kindness in our lives. And it evolved. There were, there were things that changed over time that I thought, no, this has got to be included. This has got to be included. There was a chapter on generosity and a chapter on hospitality. And we combined those into one. So I talk about hospitality and the generosity chapter. But there was a lot of massaging and a lot of work on the table of contents and trying to figure out how to narrow it down to 10 uh, keys that would help people unlock kindness in their lives. One thing I want to acknowledge, because I don't think this is talked about enough. I remember years ago, I had read the book. I hope I don't get it wrong. I believe it was The Spirit of the Disciplines by Richard Foster. Yeah, his most famous one is Celebration of Discipline. But I think the other one was, is that that the one you're talking about? I think that's it. Yeah, Celebration of Discipline. Yeah. He talks about in the beginning... You know, a a bad approach to youth ministry, like when I grew up, is to say, here's the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This week, we're going to focus on love. Everybody try to show love and to, to take them all individually. And I didn't want this book to be separated from a relationship with Jesus. So I try to have Jesus throughout the book, Christian principles throughout the book, and scriptural references throughout the book, because I knew I wanted to write a book that anybody could pick up 
even if they don't currently have a relationship with Jesus, but I wanted them to see that Jesus was the key for living out these kind of principles and this kind of life. And in, in Richard Foster's book, he says, when you are spending time with Christ daily in your devotional life, in your worship life, in your prayer life, in your scripture life, when you're spending time with Jesus, when the troubles come, when the surprises come, when the crazy things that life throws at us come, your natural response will be the fruit of the spirit. Your natural response yeah. would be love. Your natural response would be patience. Your natural response would be kindness. And so I, I have thought about this for well over a decade when I read that book years ago about how the key is a relationship with Christ. And then when you get rear-ended, uh, like I did last fall, I was in a car accident and somebody sideswiped me, hit me right in the side, knocked me in the other lane. And uh, I got out and that person proceeded to cuss me out as if it was my fault when, mm -hmm. when she hit me. And I just sat in my car and waited for the, for the police to come. I didn't interact. I didn't, I didn't yell back. I just sat down. You know, there's a chapter on composure in this book. I just sat and waited for the police officer. I let her talk to the police officer first where she was lying and telling a story as if it was my fault. And then when the police officer came over, I said, do you want to hear what really happened? And then I told him about the accident and he wrote up the ticket that it was her fault and, you know, that her insurance had to pay. But I, I, I remember back reading this book by Richard Foster and thinking about that it all flows out of a relationship with Jesus Christ and through that relationship and that daily devotional life that we're not always perfect. Nobody's perfect. And I always say when I do interviews like this, I'm not the kindness expert. I have just strived to, to live my life like this, but it flows from a relationship with Jesus, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And now a short break to talk about something else. If you like the content you're hearing, here are two things you can do for us. First, forward this podcast to a friend. Second, consider becoming a financial supporter through Patreon, Venmo, or PayPal. Just go to carlvaders.com support. For as little as $3 a month, you can help us put these resources into the hands of the ministries that need them the most. Our support link is in the show notes. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. I want to uh, tackle a couple of these character traits that you talk about unlock you forgiveness there are 10 of them so we could go on for two hours with them but we won't we'll just grab a couple of them as we're going through this and and i'm going to pick a couple of them that 
might be somewhat surprising for people. I think we've talked a little bit about forgiveness and I think most people can see how having a heart of forgiveness helps you to be kinder. But you, And you also mentioned composure. I thought that was one of the kind of out of the left field, but as you just described it now, being composed in a difficult situation then allows you to be kind. But let's start with one right in the middle of the list, which is rest. You talk a lot and you talk in very, very practical ways about how rest helps us to be kind and how a lack of rest causes us to be triggered and therefore unkind. So walk us through what are some of the things we can do to get more rest and why is rest so important as a key to unlocking kindness in our lives? Yeah, great question. This is rest is the most practical chapter in the entire book. I have a lot of chapters that are straight scriptures, straight from biblical references. Uh, rest is as well, but this is the most practical. Here's how to be rested uh, kind of chapter. I actually was going to write about this in a future book that I had talked to my agent about. And then I realized that it would fit better in this book on kindness because, you know, I mentioned about mental health struggles in the beginning of the book. And so for me, rest is a battle. It's really hard to get proper sleep. Uh, one of my kids has the same issue. We struggle with sleep. I have to take uh, a special medicine to knock me out. It's, it's very difficult to sleep. But what I have found is when I am well rested, I am in such a better mood all throughout the day. And I don't think I'm alone in this. And then what I've also found is that when I don't get enough sleep, I can be very short with people or have this little frustration under, under the skin where I'm just on edge because I didn't sleep well. And so I got to thinking practically, if we're not getting enough rest, and this, this is not just eight hours of sleep or whatever it may be, not just a, a nightly rest, but a weekly rest, you know, I talk about a Sabbath, I talk about sabbaticals, I talk about taking a vacation, taking time away with your family. But as you and I have talked about before, pastors are some of the most overworked people in the world, and it is a demanding job. And so whether you're listening to this and you're a pastor or a church staff member or just a Christ follower who loves Carl and loves this podcast, my, my advice in the book is to take rest seriously. And I give some very practical tips on how to get enough sleep. You know, any way you cut it, I talk about the power of eights, you know, any way you cut it, we have a 24 hour day. So if you work eight hours, if you're home eight hours and you sleep at eight hours, you're sleeping a third of your life. And so we've got to take it seriously. I talk about practical stuff, like making sure you have a good mattress, a good bed, yep. something I learned from my chiropractor. It was a very real chapter to me that came out of a conversation with my chiropractor when I was having constant back issues. And he said, what kind of mattress are you sleeping on? How old is it? And I was like, well, it's about 12 years old. He said, you do realize you sleep a 30 year life. I said, well, then I'm going to invest in a nice mattress. I'm going to go get mm -hmm. a nice bed. But, you know, if we're if we're not getting good sleep, then we're going to be like grumpy of the, the seven dwarfs. We're, we're going to be grumpy. We're not going to be in a good mood. And people would never put us in a kindness category. They're going to think, oh, Bill, oh, no, Bill, Bill's always grumpy. He's always got a little bit of attitude. I would not describe Bill as kind. And really, Bill just needs a good night's sleep. And so uh, a lot of this could be, and like I said, there's very spiritual chapters. And I talk about a relationship with Christ. But then there's practical. Are we getting enough sleep? 
Yeah. Another one that you tackle that I thought that really delighted me when I saw it was unlocking generosity, because I think to narrow it down to a few words, in some ways, kindness is really emotional generosity. Yeah. But you talk in that chapter about being a generous person. How does generosity contribute to a spirit of kindness? You know, I, in my previous books on hospitality, when I got asked to speak on hospitality, I would always say in a, in a live environment, when I'm speaking at an event or conference, that hospitality and generosity are two sides of the same coin. So the way I'm wired is I'm, I'm hospitable, but I'm also very generous. And so I share a lot of very personal stories for the first time ever. There's a story in there about we've had different people stay with us over the years from people that were homeless to people that were addicts to recovering alcoholics, different people that stayed with us for months at a time. And one guy who I mentioned about from a decade ago just called me up this week. He and his wife were coming through our area and said, can we stay tonight with you? We'd love to catch up with you. We'd love to love to see you. They're coming later this week and they're doing great. I actually got to remarry them. The couple was divorced at the time. He oh, was wow. an alcoholic. He stayed with us, got sober. Uh, I walked with him just as I have other recovering alcoholics. I've never had an issue with alcohol, but I have issues like we all do. But I had a heart for addicts and I wanted to walk with them. And so he got sober. He got clean. Uh, he and his divorced wife got back together. I remarried them, performed the ceremony. They had a son. He was thrilled. They're still together. They went on and got graduate degrees and postgraduate degrees. One's a professor. One's, I think, a physical therapist. And they're doing great. And so they're coming by later this week to visit and to stay with us. But he was somebody who I gave a place to stay for, um, you know, like four or five months for him to get on his feet to fight for sobriety and get his relationship back in a place where he could, where his wife who had divorced him because of alcohol could even consider taking him back. And um, it was just a beautiful God story. In the book, I share stories about, you know, since 1993, when I went to college 30 years ago, I have always had a special relationship with servers and restaurants, wait waiters, waitresses. People are amazed when they come visit me. And this just happened with the guy that runs a church planning organization, came two weeks ago to stay here at my house. And he was amazed when I took him to my favorite local Mexican restaurant. Everybody in there knows me, the owner, every waitress, they all know me. They, they, they come by, they know me by name. They know my wife's name. And for the past, two weeks, my favorite waitress and her husband have sat right next to me in church. I invited them to church. They came to church. They have no relationship with Christ, but they sat there and I could see out of the corner of my eye, tears streaming down her face during the message. And so I share some really personal stories of just uh, generous acts and things that I've tried to model to my kids. And, and as a dad, that's probably the biggest motivation uh, I learned generosity from my mom, and I'm trying to model this for my kids so that they all have a strong work ethic. They're hard workers, but I want them to be generous with what they earn. And so just trying to model that as a dad. And as you know, as a pastor, the Bible has a lot to say about generosity and the mindset and heart of a cheerful giver. And so I just wanted to talk about that because if you were to ask my waitress, 
of the restaurant who came to church as my guest is Greg, a kind person. She would relate my generosity towards her as a server as kindness. And that's where some of those stories come in. So if you go up to my waitress, Wendy, and say, is Greg a kind person? She would say, oh, yes, absolutely. And it's just because of some generosity that I've shown her and others that work there. Yeah. The, the amazing thing about kindness is it really doesn't cost the giver anything to give it. It is refreshing to both the giver and to the receiver of it. It's not going to cost you any more time in your day. It's not going to cost you, in most cases, even any more money, although we just talked about the generosity of our finances as well. But there's so many opportunities. Most of the opportunities we have to be kind literally don't cost us any time or any money. It's just simply an attitude shift in the way that we talk to people. And you mentioned earlier you know, about being a pastor. So let's talk about that for a moment, because so many of the listeners, of course, are coming from, from the pastorate. What would you give as advice to any pastors who are listening to help them teach kindness? What are some ways that we can start to help our church to exhibit the fruit of kindness? We are often very good at preaching about other things from generosity to wisdom, to even rest, because they're so practical to what love looks like in the church and, and how to be a more patient person. But I don't know that I've ever preached a sermon specifically on kindness. I hope that it's been infused in everything that I've ever done. But what would you say to a pastor who's thinking, yeah, I think I need to approach my congregation about this. How do you start a congregation to become more kind? Great question. So in the coming months, probably less than that, my publisher and I are putting together what we call kindness kits. Uh, again, this book is written for anybody, Christian, non-Christian. You don't have to be a church staff member. You don't have to be a pastor. We want anybody to read this book. However, in the coming month or two, we are putting together a kindness kit specifically for churches and church leaders that will have sermon series resources. We're going to write a small group curriculum where you could take a small group through these 10 chapters, these 10 keys, and have a 10-week study. You could do a 10-week sermon series. You could do two a week and have a five-week sermon series, but we're going to put together a kindness kit with outlines and slides and graphics and resources for pastors to be able to teach on this because we do think it can change your church culture, your staff culture, your volunteer culture, and your community when you teach on kindness. I believe that strongly. And, uh, and as you said, most churches don't. So we want to give them uh, resources to be able to. And my publisher has done this with another one of their authors on, on a book he did. They put together a kit to go with it. And so we're going to have a kindness kit that has all the resources done for you, resources for you to be able to do that. But when you talk about pastors in general, you know, it is it is no secret. Uh, we know in our world, I have heard so many horror stories of servers and waitresses and waiters that can't stand when a Christian conference comes to town because the giving is so low, the generosity of the tips are so low, people yeah. that leave tracks instead of money. Uh, there's so many horror stories of servers that don't like working Sundays because the church crowd comes in after church and they're all dressed up in their suits and they're talking about church, but then they give a dollar tip or a tract or something or no tip. And so that is the little dirty secret that people have talked about for years and years and years. And so that's why I wanted to have a chapter on generosity. I think Christ followers should be known for generosity. 
my my wife just the other night at dinner with my mother-in-law was telling her stories of how I treat servers. Now, if you pay close attention to the first chapter in the book on forgiveness, where I share about what it was like growing up with my dad, I had the opposite experience as a kid. Yeah, you did. My dad was so mean that I watched him make servers cry. I watched him make waitresses cry. So again, I said, this ends with me. I'm going to break the cycle and I'm going to be the guy that they light up when they see me, which they do, and that they are so excited to serve me when I sit down at their table, as, which was opposite of what was modeled for me as a kid when I saw my dad make servers cry because he was, he was just so, so blunt, mean, short, and rude. I want Christ followers and Christians and churchgoers to be known for kindness and generosity so that everybody wants to work the Sunday shift. If they're a server and they happen to work a Sunday schedule, that they are not upset when Christians get out of church and that they get treated fairly. I mean, we all know servers don't make hardly anything. It's like a dollar fifty an hour, and then everything else is what they get on tips. And so I think that we should be marked by generosity and hospitality and kindness. And these are traits that we should be known for. So we're going to put together a kindness kit and help you as the leader teach on this at your congregation. Oh, that's good to hear. I, it probably will not be out by the time this podcast is out. Uh, if it is, we'll put links in the show notes. If it's not, then uh, subscribe to the newsletter. If you're already subscribed, when that comes out, uh, we'll put links in our weekly newsletter. And uh, if you are not subscribed to the newsletter, go to carlvaders.com and subscribe there. Because in addition to getting that information when it does come out, uh, as soon as we're done with this, you and I, Greg, we're going to do five to 10 minutes of bonus content only for sponsors and subscribers. So you can become a sponsor and give monthly to this ministry, or you can simply just subscribe to the free newsletter. It doesn't cost you anything. And then every Friday you get a notice in, in this. And when you do, you'll get the key to get to the bonus content. It's on YouTube, but you will not be able to find it unless you have the key that comes in the newsletter or to the sponsors. So if you are not there yet, we encourage you to do that so you can get the bonus content. What I I want to talk about with you in the bonus content, just to give everybody an idea uh, who is a newsletter subscriber. I want to talk to you about your last chapter, which is Unlocking Unity, where you really get into some really important issues of, of racial reconciliation, of why is it that 11 a.m. on Sunday morning is still the most segregated hour of the of the week? How How is that a key part of turning that around? And why is it that everybody, the last decade, it seems like everybody's gotten meaner. Why is that? How can we turn that around? And how will that reconciliation help with that? So that that we will cover in the bonus content. For those of you who are subscribers, you'll be able to get that if you subscribe to the newsletter or you are a sponsor. But before we break from this part of the podcast and go to record that, the people can find it in other places. Let's go through the lightning round. You've already done one of these but maybe some of your answers have changed or maybe you've gotten smarter in the meantime and we'll see how the answers go. All right. <laughs> All right. Question number one, what are the biggest changes you've seen in your field of ministry in the last few years and how have you adapted to it? Yeah, I actually wrote down my answers so I could think clearly and put time into this when you emailed me the questions. Uh, I, so I have, I have a few that I want to just list off. One sure. is the reality of a, post-COVID world and how so many things changed since 2020, whether it be 
less volunteers than you had before, less Sunday morning attendance than you had before, the addition of digital ministry and online services and recording things for a live stream and all that didn't exist before 2020. Uh, I was talking about it since 2008, online church. Uh, I started blogging about in 2008, but everybody became aware of it in 2020. And so that is a huge change. I think also there's been a lot of voices that are out there talking about the difference between attendance and engagement. You may have less people coming than pre-COVID, but are they more engaged than ever before? Do you have a stronger tribe, as Seth Godin would call it? And then more of a missional focus or things that I've noticed recently where people are wanting to do stuff in the community, which is, I think this kindness book goes hand in hand with that to start a kindness movement in your community. And then uh, finally, and this is on the heels of a post-COVID world, a rise in the need for discipleship. What we have seen when you, you talked about meanness in the last 10 years and people not known for being kind, and I think that's a lack of discipleship. I think if we get back to discipling people to be, you know, Christians mean little Christ, to be followers of Christ, to be, I call it Christ followers. If we get back to walking, you know, Jesus modeled so many things in the Gospels when he walked the earth. And if we get back to following Christ, his ways, his teaching, uh, he was very clear on loving our neighbor. If we get back to discipling those that come into our doors, then a natural byproduct, as Richard Foster said, would be kindness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great answers to that. What free resource like an app or a website has helped you lately that you'd recommend for small church ministry? Uh, there's two things. Uh, one's one's going to blow people away because it's brand new. But one, I would mention my email list is a great place where I send out free resources almost weekly. I send two emails a week, but they're almost always free resources. And the best way to locate that is to go to either firstimpressions.email or if you go to the First Impressions Conference website, which is firstimpressionsconference.com, you'll see a button to click to subscribe. And when you subscribe, you get a free bundle, a First Impressions bundle that has all kinds of free re resources in that. And so that's totally free. Another thing that's brand new is we just recently had our spring First Impressions Conference and our big main primary presenting sponsor was Glue, G-L-O-O. And Glue is the only free texting solution out there for churches. People have heard of things like Text and Church and Clearstream. And I hear from a lot of small church leaders, we'd love to do it. We just can't afford it. Glue has it for free. So their website is uh, get.glue.us. Uh, so glue.us. But if you go to slash first impressions, you'll see a co-branded product that we worked on together. And I actually helped them design a guest follow-up template. Uh, you know, it's no secret that you get a stronger open rate and response from texting than you do email. I'm a yeah. big believer in email, but more people see text than they see an email. And so for years now, people have said, Greg, I've heard you spoke at conferences. I've seen you in your Facebook group. I know you're a big believer in text. We just can't afford it. Glue is doing it for free. So if you go to glue.us and check out their free texting solution, 
You can use this as a digital connection card. You can use this as a plan your visit. You can use this where you give people uh, a number to dial and, and sign up a digital connection card or a QR code on the back of a seat like we do at my small church. You can, you can use this as a way to, um, to follow up with those who visit you. I don't get anything from this. I don't get a cut of anything. I just am blown away that they're offering this for free. So that's the newest thing I got for you. Yeah, I just talked to a glue rep at a conference I was just at and was really impressed by the stuff that they've got. So we'll put links to all of that in the show notes. What's the best piece of ministry advice you've ever received? So this comes, uh, I love this question. This comes from 1994. So we're coming up on three decades next year. Mm -hmm. uh, I was at my first church in 1994 and I was a minister of music, they called it back then, or today would be a yep. worship pastor. And my uncle had been a minister of music since the 70s. And he was my hero and my mentor and somebody I looked up to. And he was going to come visit one weekend and be a guest at my church where I was leading music. And I was so excited and I wanted all the hymns and the music to be perfect and everything to be just right. And I, I was just wanting to impress my uncle who was a veteran and I looked up to him. We go to lunch uh, after church. And I said, so Uncle Joel, what did you think? And he said, Greg, walk slowly through the pews. I blogged about this. I wrote about it in my first book, Church Leadership Essentials. He took me to school. He said, Greg, you were rushing around so much trying to make sure everything was perfect, that you were flying by people and you didn't take time to look them in the eye and to talk with them. I was a minister of music at a country church of about 60 people and um, had to drive 45 minutes each way from my college. I was a freshman in college and I had to drive 45 minutes Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night as a full-time college student. But I was so busy rushing around trying to make sure everybody knew their cues and everybody knew everything that I didn't walk slowly through the pews. Now, as a consultant with very large churches, I'm impressed when I see a pastor who takes the time to walk up and down the pews talking to people. And one that comes to mind that was one of the most impressive ones I've worked with was a couple years ago, I consulted with First Baptist Orlando, where the uh, Exponential Conference is hosted, right. if you've ever been to Exponential. And the pastor of First Baptist Orlando, I was sitting in the back in the balcony looking over, just observing, and he walked from pew to pew to pew, shaking hands with people and talking to people. And this is a church of 10,000 people. And I thought, man, that's awesome. And then I remember years ago, Kevin, the pastor at 12 Stone in Atlanta, Georgia, consulting with them, their church of over 12,000 but he stood at the front, uh, in front of the altar, in front of the stage after each service with a long line of people waiting to shake his hand, pray with him, hug him. And he seemed to have time with everybody. I remember years ago consulting with the second largest church in the country, Christ, uh, Christ Church of the Valley in Phoenix, Arizona. And their pastor at the time, who's since retired, was walking around talking to everybody outside in the outdoor area because it was beautiful there. And so um, I say this because I've said this before to you, you and I have had really good conversations on first impressions on your podcast in the past. If you are a small church leader, it is even more noticeable if yeah. you disappear 
It is even Absolutely. noticeable if you're not personable, if you're not accessible, if you're not friendly. If, like me as a kid at 18 years old, if you are not walking slowly through the pews in a small church, people will notice that and they will form a perception of you that may not match your heart and your character because you are so caught up in the details. And so let the de do, do your details Monday through Saturday. Let them rest on Sunday and focus on people and God. Yeah, that's about as good advice as you'll ever have as a small church pastor, for sure. Well, let's go from that to something a little more unusual. What's the funniest or weirdest thing you've ever seen in church? So I chose the weirdest thing, which was also okay. 1994 as a freshman in college at the age of 18. Uh, it's amazing. I was telling my daughters, they were here yesterday. One's 19, one's 22. And we just had a family member pass away. And they were saying they had never been to a funeral. And I said, I was doing funerals, performing funerals at the age of 18. So I said, younger than my youngest kid, I was doing funerals. But uh, when I was 18, on a Sunday night service where I was leading music, the pastor was off that night. And I was the guy in charge as a freshman in college. A woman started screaming out in pain right in the middle of this Sunday night service. And we didn't know it, but she was having a brain aneurysm. And so oh, I just man. said, call 911. And we started praying and surrounding and praying. And, you know, this was about 30 people on a Sunday night at a country church. We prayed and couldn't really do anything until the e EMS arrived. And then the husband of the woman, because they were dear friends of mine, and they just really took me under their wing as a college student, he asked me to ride with him. And um, we get to the hospital, which strangely enough, was right across the street from my college. And the doctor came into the ER waiting room, and he told the husband that his wife had a 10% chance of making it through the night. And wow. he collapsed into my arms. I caught him and held him up, stayed with him the entire night, praying with him and with her, staying by his side, and then was up all night and went to class the next day, had a full-time college schedule working as a, I mean, as a college student. And uh, she was in the hospital for three months. She, she survived but I would go to school during the day and visit her after class across the street at the hospital. Mm. But she survived. They were a beautiful, sweet couple. But that was my initiation into ministry was funerals. And then this weirdest of all things, a person having a brain aneurysm in the yeah. middle of a service. Wow. My goodness. That's, that's heroin. That's my fire. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Grateful that she made it and that you got the chance to, to do such good ministry with her as well. And I mean, Hey, uh, before we leave, how can people find you online if they'd like to reach out to you for anything? Yeah. I love when people reach out. My, my email is my name, Greg at Greg Atkinson.com on Twitter. I'm at Greg Atkinson on Instagram. I'm at Greg Atkinson. And I read the, the messages that people DM me. Uh, on Facebook, I was not able to scoop up at Greg Atkinson, but I'm very searchable. You can find me on Facebook by searching Greg Atkinson. Uh, I get emails every day of people that just have a question. And so it's just Greg at gregatkinson.com. Terrific. And again, to remind listeners, the book uh, is The Secret Power of Kindness, 10 Keys to Unlocking Your Capacity to Change the World. I encourage you to get it. It's a great place to begin teaching 
uh, your congregation as well as the lessons that you'll get out of yourself. Thanks so much again, Greg. I appreciate your conversation today and let's start that kindness revolution. Amen. Yes. Thanks for having me. Kindness is one of those subjects, as we said already, that I don't know that I've ever preached a sermon on it. I probably ought to correct it, but I hope that kindness has been a part of everything that I've done and everything that I've said. So many takeaways from this. Let me just go through a small list of them as a reminder that you can take home as well. One of the first things that I realized was kindness is a choice. It's really not about how we feel, although it can be affected by how we feel, but it's not a feeling. Kindness is a choice. Secondly, kindness is a skill that we can learn. Once we've made the choice to be a more kind person, we need to figure out how to do that. And Greg walks through so many good ideas for that in his book. Thirdly, kindness does not stand on its own. It is tied to the other fruit of the Spirit. I don't think you can be a kind person and not be a patient person or not be a loving person. All the fruit of the Spirit come together. Fourth, Kindness is often noticed more by its absence than by its presence. We often don't appreciate a kind person, but we often have real problems with an unkind person. Fifth, a lack of kindness may be the number one reason people dislike and distrust Christians, and if they dislike and distrust us, they are far less likely to find their way to Jesus. Sixth, in most situations, kindness costs us nothing. Certainly, as Greg talked about, we need to be better tippers and that there are ways that we can give financially and of our time. But in so many situations, we don't need to take more time. It doesn't even need to cost us money. It's just a shift in attitude to choose to be kind. And then finally, I believe kindness is relational generosity. It's a way of being generous with our time, with our attitude, with our emotional state. It's a way of lifting people up instead of bringing them down. I think we can do this better. I know we can do this better. And I believe Greg's book is going to help us with all of that. This episode was produced by Veronica Beaver. It was edited by Phil Vaders. Original theme music was written and performed by Jack Wilkins of jackwilkinsmusic.com. The graphic design is by Solomon Joy. And me, I'm Carl Vaders, and I hope to talk with you again in the church lobby.